I'm Aaron Henkin. Welcome to Life in the Balance, a monthly radio program here on WYPR that's a unique hybrid of public policy discussion and first-person storytelling. Here's how it works. We build each episode of Life in the Balance around one person's real-life story, a life that hangs in the balance, you could say, in one way or another. And then we invite folks from the policy and academic and nonprofit worlds to listen along with us to that person's story, and we challenge them to share their insights about the larger social and political and economic issues at play. All that is to say this is a program about people, people whose lives are at the heart of so many of the policy discussions we hear on these public radio airwaves. The policy talk and the analysis are important precisely because they are about real people, the people who represent what's at stake behind the numbers and the statistics. This is our sixth episode of Life in the Balance, and uh, on this show we've covered uh, a lot of different issues, from homelessness to post-incarceration struggles to teenage depression. You can check out uh, previous episodes of the show, by the way, at wypr.org slash life in the balance or you can go to itunes or wherever you download your podcasts okay on today's program we're talking about parenting grandparenting actually there is a popular conception that becoming a grandparent is sort of the ultimate reward in later life you get to enjoy having cute little kids all over again but this time around you don't have the financial or emotional burden of raising them full time It turns out this vision of grandparenting is not the reality for a lot of families here in Baltimore City. For a variety of reasons, many grandparents find themselves in the position of sole or primary guardian of their grandchildren. I want to introduce you now to a woman who falls into this category of grandparent guardian. She is asked to remain anonymous, so we're going to call her Sandy. We're going to start Sandy's story on the day that she got the news that her 16-year-old daughter, who'd been having trouble in school, was pregnant. It wasn't pleasant to hear because she was a little younger and she had always said she didn't want any children. So to hear that she was pregnant, it was like, and especially at the point of her life when she got had gotten pregnant, you know, it was like, we're not ready for this because where she was in her life at that time, I knew that she was going to need help, you know, so... It was just a decision that we had to make that I knew that we was going to have to step up and support her. We're going to learn more about how things unfolded when Sandy took custody of her grandchild. But first, I want to introduce you to Chris Beagle, who's listening along with us. Chris is the Deputy Clinical Director for Family Connections Baltimore, and he knows Sandy well. He's been counseling her for the past year. Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Tell us about Family Connections and grandparent. Family Connections. What is the organization? How does it work? Sure. So Family Connections Baltimore started in 1996. So we've been providing services uh, for roughly 20 plus years here in Baltimore City. Family Connections is a program through social work community outreach services uh, in the University of Maryland uh, School of Social Work here in Baltimore. And Back in 1996, Drs. Diane DePamphilis and Dr. Howard Dubowitz set out to try to really figure out and create an evidence-based model that really truly supported families, preventing them from going into uh, the child welfare system and needing assistance. So it is considered a neglect prevention program. 
we are there to really meet basic needs of families while also trying to enhance and um, sometimes restore family relationships. Okay, we're going to turn back to Sandy's story now. At this point, her granddaughter has been born, and she finds herself taking on the role of mom. It was almost immediately like my baby because she worked, and she was always a workaholic, you know, so she worked every day, and I had the baby. You know, she would do overnight, and, I mean, because McDonald's, that one she was working at, had the 24 hours, you know, she would go in, and she would work, and so I had the baby. You know, and but it was it wound up being a good thing in the beginning because she then started being a part of the baby's life, you know, and learning how to be a mom and um, coming home, you know, asking the questions and all. So that part that part of it started being good. And then um, it was like back out the door. Chris Beagle from Family Connections. I know you know Sandy very well at this point. She's a pretty incredible woman. She's really taken on this challenge with an open heart. Um, But it's also taken a toll on her, having to be the one to look after her grandchild because mom isn't or, or can't be present. Let's talk a little bit more about that initial adjustment when a grandma becomes mom, effectively. We find this very common amongst grandparents. They often share this having an understanding or like a preconceived idea of what a grandparent will become. And it's very hard to shift and say, I have to play duplicate roles. So not only grandparent, but I also have to have to be a parent. Uh, And one grandparent said to me recently, I, you know, not fully understanding that I was going to be on the front lines but I want often the time of a grandparent to spoil my grandkids and um, be able to decide when, you know, like what our time together is going to look like. And so I think that is a very hard adjustment. One thing I learned that opened my eyes when I met Sandy and talked to her was, you know, I sort of had the idea that, okay, if, if, if grandma is raising the baby, that just means that must mean like mom has just completely disappeared or dad or whoever the parent was. But the reality is, is like um, grandparents will take custody and still have the child's parent kind of in and out of the picture. And we're going to hear more about this later. But Sandy's daughter continues to kind of come and go. Uh, sometimes she's totally out of the picture. Sometimes she's shouldering some of the weight. How does that complicate things when mom is sort of there sometimes? It's definitely a a difficult challenge because we often say that one of the the beauties of grandparents uh, taking on this role and welcoming their grandchildren into their home is that they offer some safety, they offer some structure, they offer some routine, and they offer their unconditional love and care for their grandchildren, just like Sandy. And at the same time, they they don't they're always hoping that their grandchildren will still remain connected and reunify with their parents Uh, and because there's a belief that that's what will offer them some of the best outcomes in life and so when you often we think that these are permanent decisions and permanent living arrangements and that's rarely the case And so grandparents really are 
because they have a relationship to what's going on as well. So they have a relationship with their grandchildren's parents, whether it's their son or their daughter, and they want the best for them. They want to see them come to a place, whether it's a place of healing, a place of better physical health, or a place of better emotional health, that they will one day be able to reunify and and take on the full-time parenting responsibility. And that continues to be Sandy's hope. That's correct. Up to the present. I want to go back to Sandy's story now um, and harken back to this ideal of, you know, what older folks hope and expect their lives to be like as grandparents. What we're about to hear really speaks to what it feels like to watch that ideal slip through your fingers. You are at a place in your life where it's about you and I have a husband. When is it going to be our time? It's just a sacrifice that we had to make when we seen that she wasn't changing. More of the responsibility was falling on us. It became a thing where, okay, this is your obligation now, you know. And so, yeah, you get angry, you know, you get frustrated. But all you can think about is the child in the moment. Is the baby better out there traveling around in the streets with the parent? Or can you get this child a secure home? You know, and so we had to make the decision that we would have the secure home for the baby. You're tuned to Life in the Balance. I'm Aaron Hankin. We're listening to the story of Sandy, a grandparent who's shouldered the responsibility of raising her grandchild. Listening along with us to Sandy's story is Chris Beagle from Family Connections. And Chris, um, we hear Sandy say you get angry, you get frustrated, but all you can think about is the child. This has got to be an unbelievably tough emotional spot to be in. Talk about that spot and the toll it can take. So for for Sandy and many of our grandparents, it's a mixed range of emotions. And so, you know, to be angry, uh, to to think that you had different ideas about what this journey, this part of your journey in your life would be. Uh, especially as a grandparent, but also as parents with adult children and thinking about what that meant for her relationship with her partner and having these ideas and these these plans and visions and to once again sort of place that on hold and to make some adjustments knowing that this is what's in the best interest of your grandchildren. That's Chris Beagle, Deputy Clinical Director from Family Connections, who's been uh, working with Sandy, whose story we've been listening to this hour. A bit more on Sandy and her story. Her daughter uh, went on to have another child, a son, and Sandy also became his primary caretaker. And then fast forward to today, Sandy's granddaughter is 13 years old. Her grandson is nine years old. And her daughter continues to struggle with addiction. She's done a couple of stretches in prison. And as the kids have gotten older, it's fallen on Sandy to help them deal with the emotional fallout. They suffered a lot. You know, they witnessed a lot. And because of that, they was kind of traumatized. And the hardest part is because they know that they have these parents. They love their parents. They want their parents to be there. But they have now gotten to a place where they understand dad is incarcerated. Mommy just came home. And 
even though they are not the parents that they want them to be. They understand now, you know, that we, my, my husband and I, have been there, continually have been there for them. Chris Beagle, you mentioned the word trauma. Talk about how kids do in these kinds of situations. I mean, you're a kid being raised by grandma. We wish mom was there. And grandma, frankly, wishes the same thing. This is a real emotional high wire act for everyone involved. How do you begin to counsel these kids? I think it goes back to offering them a safe place and a safe environment to support them in processing what has occurred, what has happened. You know, too often in our work, our initial response, even as providers, is, well, what's wrong? as opposed to changing that question to ask what has happened or what has occurred, what have you witnessed, what have you experienced? And children don't often have the vocabulary that us as adults wish they did have to make sense of what's going on. They just know that they're having these these feelings and these thoughts and these emotions and these reactions to things. And I think it's our responsibility and to offer them an opportunity to process um, in a very safe way and with a caregiver who is nurturing and offers them unconditional love and support as they process. And that's really where a sort of a family lens with the work that we do is very critical because without that and with looking at it just as a this is what a, a child needs to do or should be doing. Without that caregiver aspect, it becomes very hard to carry out day to day outside of the therapeutic relationship. I think an irony here is that from the outside, this caregiving situation seems like a very tidy and simple and almost idyllic solution, right? Having grandparents step in to raise the kids and when the need arises. Um, deceptively simple though, right? Um, what would you want people listening to this program to know about uh, grandparent caregivers, about people like Sandy? What misunderstandings are there about people in this situation? I think you highlighted early on saying that this is something that is a permanent relationship, that when a grandparent decides to, whether it be formally or or, or informally, raise their grandchildren, that this is permanent and that there won't be um, these changes to the family dynamic or the family system. And I think that's one of the most critical things because there are certain things that you cannot predict, uh, whether or not a biological parent um, will return and what does that look like? And how do you navigate that? Uh, because you certainly, you know, you want the best for their parents. And just as Sandy was sharing, they love her grandchildren, love their mother, and they want their mother to be a part of their, their lives, including their fathers. That's the same that Sandy wants. And... So there's a lot of challenges with that because you're always hoping for the most ideal situation. 
I think it's also important to recognize that there are many other systems at play with grandparents raising grandchildren. And so for someone like Sandy, you know, we, we see her as a grandparent caregiver. There's so many different parts of her that we hope within our work come out. I mean, a community leader, a businesswoman, uh, a remarkable individual that has, um, you know, that sometimes that get, that's what gets lost. And then you only see yourself as this one person. This is your only identity. And through our work together, she was able to to make sense of these new adjustments and transitions in her life, to recognize I am a grandparent caregiver. I'm also an advocate. I'm also a community leader. I'm also a church member. I'm so many things. And I think building those resources and community connections and relationships and start recognizing this is what you have and here's your support gave her the strength, gave her family the strength to continue. Finally, Chris, before I let you go, let me just have you uh, let folks know how to get in touch with Family Connections Baltimore if they are grandparent caregivers themselves who are looking for some support. So thank you for having me. And so for Grandparent Family Connections, we are a voluntary program. So grandparents can contact us directly uh, at our main line, 410-706-8716. And they can complete the referral process um, and the screening over the phone, and we will begin the process of setting up services. We provide a service to all grandparent caregivers if they're meeting specific eligibility for our program, and it's the appropriate fit uh, throughout the Baltimore City area. The name of the organization, again, Family Connections Baltimore. Chris Beagle is Deputy Clinical Director there. And Chris, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Coming up, the financial struggles that come along with raising children can be overwhelming for anyone. But what about for grandparent guardians who are trying to survive off retirement funds? More of Sandy's story when we come back on Life in the Balance. Welcome back. You're listening to Life in the Balance, and I'm Aaron Hankin. This hour, we're discussing grandparents raising grandchildren. Why do so many grandparents find themselves in this position, and what are the emotional and financial struggles that result? We're going to turn back now to Sandy's story. She is a grandmother raising two grandkids because her daughter's been dealing with addiction issues and incarcerations. Sandy's sacrifice comes with a complicated emotional burden. Technically, they're not my responsibility. You know, it's like they are your children. And we've done it long enough, you know, and this is the next step. You know, you getting your children back, you're going to have to learn how to make sacrifices. And one of them is if you can't work today, you're going to have to call your job and say, I can't come in today. You know, um, if you have to be late or whatever the circumstances are. And... That's the part that I don't see them getting or understanding, you know, that, yeah, we do this. We do this to help you, but they aren't mine. You know, we have taken on this responsibility, but we really want you to step up. 
you know, and these are being a parent. These are some sacrifices that have to be made. Listening along to Sandy's story with me now is Hyung Tan, Deputy Commissioner of Aging and Care Services with the Baltimore City Health Department. And Hyung, thanks for being here. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Talk about some of the challenges that seniors face in a general way in Baltimore City uh, and how much more complicated it gets when the responsibility of raising grandchildren enters the picture. That's a good question. I think it's a two-part question. I think the challenges for seniors overall, there are systematic challenges. Um, we see a high rate of poverty here in the city. 20% of older adults are living below or at poverty level, meaning that their annual income is $11,000. Uh, in communities of color, that percentage is doubled. So 38% um, of adults over 60 are living at or below poverty level. And we're in this pro- in the process of developing an aging strategy here at the health department with our partners. And I tell you this is because we go we went on a long listening tour with our community members and stakeholder groups. And what we learned are that the challenges are not new to any urban city. It's affordable housing, transportation, um, crime and safety, falls in the home are primary concerns of older adults. But I think one of the reasons why we have one of the highest rates of grandparents raising grandchildren here in the city, it's due to these systemic issues. Um, Here in the city, we have over 15% of school-age children being raised by grandchildren alone, uh, grandparents alone, and that's double the national and state average. So as a grandparent, you have all of these issues, systemic issues in the city uh, that we're, we're trying to address, and then you're you're here raising grandchildren again. I mean, children again. And so there are common struggles like financial issues, navigating new educational systems, um, not understanding the the new educational system and what support your child may need. Um, So there there are a lot of struggles in, in, in this journey. Tell me about the Grandparents as Parents program, right? This GAP, GAP program. The GAP program. What is that? How exactly. Does it work? Well, the the grandparents as parents program is simply aims to help support grandparents raising children for the first time. It's hard to raise children, even just at you know my age right now. I have a toddler and with with um, a supportive partner. But as a grandparent, you're you're facing multiple challenges, as we discussed before. And the grandparents as parents program helps uh, grandparents with four things mainly. Um, One is care coordination and access to services. And so, for example, when you come into our program, we make sure that you are signed up for every services that you're eligible for, connecting to the Department of Social Services, making sure that your um, grandchild has access to medical care, food, et cetera. So care coordination is something that we provide information and assistance. Second, we provide education and training opportunities for grandparents in the community setting. So we partner with the school systems here, the Baltimore City School System, to offer support groups. And that's very popular within our grandparents because they like to to learn with peer groups. Um, the third piece where we talked about the financial restraint is the supplemental income. We're able through federal grant funding to provide stipends for grandparents who are raising grandchildren. And this is an annual grant opportunity that you can apply for each year. So you can use the money for whatever you need, computers, clothes, food, just to get yourself back up on your feet. And the last piece um, 
of the grandparents program is the respite care. And I don't think people often think about this, but you really have to care for yourself before you care for others. And we provide as much opportunity for grandparents to to care for themselves as possible. I want to bring us back to Sandy's story now. Sandy's daughter uh, and her daughter's partner uh, initially provided some money uh, for the help uh, of uh, buying clothes and food. Uh, eventually, that money just ran out. It wasn't there. And Sandy and her husband uh, became totally financially responsible for providing for these growing kids. They weren't there to make the provisions any longer, you know, so now you have to provide, you know, when you have kids who are growing in the season that the parents are out of the home, you know, they can't fit, you know, any clothing for the next season coming in. So you have to buy a whole wardrobe, you know, back to school clothes, you know, summer clothes. It was like the financial aspect hit, you know, and I don't think that that was conceived, you know, um, that they assume, again, like it's your responsibility. You know, they assume you got it, you know, they good, you got it. And not knowing whether we had it or not. My husband is a contractor, so it's not always, you know, uh, 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 available. We don't know if it's going to be or not. So, um, but it's assumed that it they're good. And um, so, yeah, financially, we we had some issues with that. Hyung Tan, uh, Deputy Commissioner of Aging and Care Services here in Baltimore City, talk to me about what you hear uh, from Sandy right now. I mean, raising kids, as you say, always expensive. But then you've got grandparents here who maybe don't work or don't work regularly. Grandparents uh, are on a fixed income, you know, and some are in fixed incomes living in uh, subsidized housing and they no longer can you know, live in those subsidized housing because they're taking care of grandchildren again. And so it, it puts us in a very difficult spot for, for many people here. And so you have a lot of multi-generational and multi-family units like San- Sandy's family, for example. Um, I think outside of the financial struggles of, of just that stress is actually navigating through the educational system. Say more about that. Um, it, you know, it was interesting in talking to Sandy, she pointed out that like, you know, as grandma, she actually has less uh, sort of guardianship authority than like a foster parent would. You know, she, um, uh, when it comes to uh, medical stuff, when it comes to school registration stuff, um, she's sort of in a limbo zone. And I think that's one of the challenges. And and, and the Grandparents as Parents program also offers some legal services. So if you do want to take full guardianship custody of your grandchild, we'll help you do that so that you can have those legal rights as full guardianship. But as an aside, when I talk about educational challenges raising um, grandchildren again, it's different. It's a different time and it's a different age to raise children. Um, A lot of what we see is that grandparents have to navigate a new system that they don't know about. How do you talk to teachers? How do you address capacity issues or or, um, or resource issues with, with your child? Because a lot of the times when a grandchild is coming to you, they're already traumatized. There's a lot of trauma, um, and it plays a, lot, a, a large role in this. And um, the data tells us that more than half the children in, the, in these foster care systems experience at least four or more trauma experiences. And so they're already behind at school. And you not only are trying to learn a new school system, but you also have to address um, 
just how behind your grandchild might be and what support he or she may need. And so those are the challenges that I, I, I hear from Sandy and, and many of our grandparents that go through our program. And, you know, also what we heard from Sandy is that every single one of those conversations then has she has to go through the hoops of explaining why she's there as grandma and basically having to rehash the whole life story of, well, this is why this is the situation and all of the sort of emotional exhaustion that goes with having to tell that story to everybody that you meet as well about your daughter or son and their own sort of abdication of responsibility. Absolutely. And it takes a toll on the child, too. You know, because it's why is grandpa here or grandma here versus mom? And and, and it opens up um, some wounds. It's interesting to think about the pluses and minuses of a grandparent taking on this role. As an outsider, it seems like the best possible solution, Um, almost the ideal solution. If you have a child, a young adult who's had a baby and can't take care of that baby, well, what better person to do it than grandma? But it's emotionally messier the closer you get to the picture. Of course, it's it's always best. We always see it's always best to that a child goes to their grandparents because it provides the stability. Um, they feel safe and healthy with someone they know very, very well. But it's it's as we've talked about the common theme. It's stressful to raise children, and it's stressful as grandparents because you're already one, going through this process a second time, and your resources are extremely limited. Financial resources, energy-wise, um, you also need to go through a process of learning, too, to raise children again. And and then we have this complicated situation with Sandy and her daughter, where she believes that it's, mom's got it, I'm okay, and there's no corrective recourse in, in many ways. And so it's this dual responsibility causes tension for the children. I was raised, actually, by my grandfather um, until I was 11 because my parents um, had to go to school during the day and work at night. We came here as refugees. And so they, my grandparents stepped in and took that role. Mm. I loved it. But at the same time, I noticed a lot of stress between my parents and grandparents to the degree where actually my grandparents had to move out by 11 because my parents said, I have to take some ownership over parenting. And as a child in this dual authority dynamic, it's really confusing. You know, who do you listen to? Who do you trust? Who's consistently there for you? And if there's a situation where there's disagreement between parents and grandparents, that causes a lot of stress on children too. And especially if it's outwardly facing. It's fascinating to hear you say that. Uh, I think this next chapter of Sandy's story is going to resonate very much with you. We're going to turn back to Sandy's story now. Uh, Sandy's daughter has, um, I should say, come home recently. She's back in her kid's life uh, for the time being, which is a good thing, but a good thing that comes with its own new set of complications. They're all living together uh, under Sandy's roof right now. And when mom moved in, it really got complicated. <laughs> um, to the kids could be at a place where they don't know didn't know who to listen to. You know, um, when she came home, everything went backwards. You know, um, everything that me and my husband the 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 everyday um, rules and regulations, the everyday everything that was that we had 
in place for them just stopped, you know, cleaning the rooms, you know, um, just everyday things. They just went backwards in, trying to intervene, you know, and to act um, in their lives every day became, I'm a bit with my mother, my mother said, you know, and so we had to go through that, and we are still going through that. So, again, the more she's maturing and understanding that we don't want your kids, you know, we want you to have your own kids, but until you can do your part, we in here and we're parenting and we need you to stand up and parent also. So she's beginning now to see some of this. So it's now like we're joining forces. What did your grandmother say? What did your grandfather say? You know, don't come at me because it was how kids do. They run a daddy, you know, they run a mommy. So they were doing that. So it's like now don't tell me your grandmother said this. Don't do what she said it. Do it. So we're just getting to that place now. But it's very challenging. Hyung Tan, uh, we hear a situation here. There's a power struggle between mom, grandma, who's in charge. The kids don't know who to pay attention to. Talk about this sort of emotional tug of war. It's it's difficult. Obviously, it has resonated to me being raised by my grandfather and parents, too. It's a situation where there's dual responsibility. And, and Sandy here is actually parenting two types of children, her yeah. own and her grandchildren. And and there's a lot of confusion um, when there is disagreement. Who's the authority figure? And is is, is, is Sandy's daughter undermining her by by not listening. And, and, and it, it's very challenging for a child to witness this because at the end of the day, they love both people, you know? And um, until they figure out what their mutual goals are and how they're going to communicate with their children, and I think this family would benefit with some just more than just care coordination, but just a conversation and perhaps groups like Family Connection. They work very deeply with a, with a family to talk through some of the communications and some of the stressful situations they might run into. Hyung, I want to thank you for your insights. I want to thank you for sharing some of your own story as well. Um, and before I let you go, let me just uh, give you a chance one more time to let folks know about the Grandparents as Parents program uh, and how they might be able to be in touch to um, make use of, of some of your expertise and resources. Thank you for, again for having me. Our Grandparents as Parents program is, is federally funded. It is available on our website at the Baltimore City Health Department. Anyone is eligible. We have multiple events that go on throughout the year. There are training and support group opportunities embedded in the school systems. Um, annually, we give annual grants out to grandparents who are supporting their grandchildren. Um, and so please take advantage of those because we always have um it's not a lot of money, but enough to support your your efforts and to parenting. Um, again, all of this information is at the Baltimore City Health Department's website, Grandparents as Parents Program. And I just wanted to end one thing. I mean, it is very stressful as a grandparent to raise grandchildren, but I will have to say that there's no other bond like having a bond like with a grandparent. And so many children in this situation might say, hey, my grand." mother might not be spoiling me, but it's a safe place that I get to go to each day. Hyung Tan is Deputy Commissioner at the Aging and Care Services with the Baltimore City Health Department. Hyung, thank you again for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. 
Coming up, Sandy is not unique and find herself in the position of being a grandparent guardian. A lot of other Baltimoreans are in the same situation. It is not a coincidence. What are the complex societal factors that are contributing to this phenomenon? More on that after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back to Life in the Balance. I'm Aaron Henkin. We're talking about grandparents raising grandchildren, uh, an extremely common family dynamic here in Baltimore City. Parents are often out of the picture for a number of reasons, untimely death, addiction struggles, incarceration, job insecurity. And grandparents find themselves parents all over again, but this time around, they're faced with a whole new set of issues. We're going to turn back to Sandy now. She is a grandparent raising her two grandchildren, and when she talks about their future, living in a city so saturated by drugs and violence, she says it's hard to see much hope. You know, so if you see no hope, then what what else is there for you? And that's where we at in Baltimore. It's like hopelessness here until that we start really looking at the whys. You know, why are the kids like, like not going to school? If you're not being educated, what's the point? You know, and so the teachers is just, everything has changed. And the schools, the, the, the care even in the school system isn't the same. If you have so much trauma, so many things going on in your home life, you go to school, you want some some change, you know, and you get there and you feel the rejection or you feel, you know, that nobody really sees, you know, why this child really wearing these same clothes, you know. You don't see the challenges that these kids are actually going through to sacrifice coming. So it's just too many things that, it's not being visual. It's like everybody is just, to me, I've called it selfish. You know, everybody's going into the selfish mode and nobody seems to care. You know, everybody's about me, 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 I, 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 what I could get is forgetting about these youths. Look at the way I live. You know, my whole block half of is vacant or lots, you know, drug infested, trashed, you know, and, and this is what they live with every day. So you become a victim to your environment. This is all they know. This is what they see. You know, we be down on the drug, the drug dealers, but a lot of them do it because they have to eat. You know, their parents addicted or not there. You know, they need clothes. Again, like I said, they build the prison, you know, for the youth before you build a school. A pretty sweeping and insightful social critique there from Sandy. Uh, listening along with us to Sandy's story right now is... Ebony Wilder. Ebony is public information officer for Baltimore City Community Action Partnership in the Mayor's Office of Human Services. Ebony, Sandy brought up a lot there, but before we get into the specifics, um, tell us a little bit about what happens in the uh, Community Action Partnership. What is your mission? So our mission is to help low-income households reach self-sufficiency. And we do that through uh, presenting opportunities uh, through energy assistance, uh, free financial literacy workshops, free food nutrition workshops, um, and also through case management. And so our case management is unique because we work with a client to establish goals that they want to accomplish, and we work out a plan in order for them to achieve it. So if the goal is, I need employment, I need a job, we work with them to uh, get the education that they need, 
or to get the clothing they need. We have a full clothing boutique of free clothing that we give clients that they can wear to job interviews. We help them with their resume, and we do mock interviews. Uh, so our case management just prepares a person um, to, to be self-sufficient. Sandy, in her particular story, we hear that she is a grandparent guardian. She's the primary caretaker of her two grandchildren. Uh, she spoke with us about how she struggles financially to raise these kids, um, make sure they have new uh, proper fitting clothes, make sure they have nutritious food. Her grandson is nine years old, um, growing boys, eat a lot. Um, talk about... Um, how you would counsel Sandy, uh, what programs you would direct her to here in the city that might be helpful for her? So there are a number of opportunities, um, but I would definitely direct Sandy to CAPS uh, resources. One of the uh, resources that we have is each summer we provide free on-site financial literacy training to youth at Morgan State University. Uh, We introduce uh, youth to a college campus. We do that through a tour and free lunch at the cafeteria. We let them know what they need to do in high school in order to be able to go to college. We ask them, what are your career goals? And then we set out a plan uh, for them to achieve it. Also, during the summer, we partner with the Mayor's Office of Employment Development to host youth workers at our uh, administrative office and at our five centers across the city. And so through that program, we also have a basketball team. We take youth um, to participate in tournaments where they meet other youth, um, and that also includes a college tour. So we have a a number of programs to introduce youth uh, to new opportunities, to have them think outside of Baltimore City and have them think about their future and the goals that they have and how to achieve them. Ebony, you mentioned nutrition programs as uh, part of your services. Talk more about that. Talk more about health, nutrition, and uh, services you provide. So we have a free six-week food nutrition workshop series. We go out on site to organizations that invite us out or a resident can come to any of our CAP centers to get the free workshop. Uh, We discuss how to stretch a dollar. So, for instance, one of the things I like to share is, you know, maybe one day you have... um, Uh, hamburgers. And, you know, you have it for a couple of days, but you're kind of tired of the hamburgers. So instead of throwing that food out, uh, we help you kind of uh, make it into a new meal. So you take that hamburger, uh, chop it up, and then you have spaghetti. Um, So we, our food nutrition workshops cover how to stretch a dollar, but also how to shop in the grocery store. Um, Also, what foods are good for you? Because unfortunately, we do have a high rate of hypertension, diabetes, other health issues that could be uh, reduced if we just make changes to our diet. So we talk about how to lower your sodium intake, um, how to pick better cuts of meat, how to become a vegetarian if you want to become a vegetarian, um, making better choices. The program is not to kind of change you overnight. It's a gradual thing, making small choices or changes to your diet that will have a long-term impact. Talk about some of the biggest obstacles to those goals. I mean, what are the, what are the walls that you run up against that f- sort of frustrate you as, you as you try to achieve what you're trying to accomplish? Directly from clients, the biggest obstacles are employment and also financial literacy. 
So that is one of the reasons why we are focused on building relationships with organizations uh, to help people with the training they need or the education that they need to be strong candidates uh, for employers. And in terms of financial literacy, we have free workshops that we provide any Baltimore City resident. And we, they can come to any of our CAP centers, or if they have a group or an organization, we'll actually come out, we'll come on site and host a financial literacy workshop or our series of financial literacy workshops. We help people learn how to manage their money, how to plan for retirement, how to save, um, how to be entrepreneurs. So we, our topics run the gamut. Uh, when it, it, Our financial literacy program topics run the gamut. But those two are uh, the areas that clients come to us most wanting assistance and wanting support. Thinking back to what we just heard Sandy say, I mean, at this point in her story, I feel like I hear a lot of resignation in her voice. I hear a lot of skepticism. I hear a lot of hopelessness. She talks about how it's hard to see hope. Um, do you hear that often? And how do you deal with someone who feels hopeless? I would say in my experience, I feel that when someone walks through our doors, walks through the cap doors, but afterwards, it's a difference. And I'll give you a for instance, um, a person came into our center one day who did not have services, meaning his electricity was completely off. And this was in the middle of the summertime. And he, he rushed into a center because we help with energy assistance, helping people pay their BG&E bill. And then afterwards, after he got his service restored um, and went through the process where we also address reasons why he may have been behind on that bill and, and worked with him to schedule an appointment to kind of address those issues, he was happy. He had a big smile on his face. He was saying, you know, he felt hopeless. He felt like he had nowhere to go. But someone mentioned Community Action Partnership, and he went in and it made his day. And so I see that day in and day out. Um, in my position, I go to a lot of community uh, meetings, a lot of outreach events where I do interact with the community. And it's one of the things, those people who are familiar with us and familiar and have utilized our services, they really have a different perspective. Um, so that's why it's important in my job. One of my main responsibilities is letting everyone know that CAP is here and we're um, available to help in any way we can. And if we don't have the direct services or resources, then we do have a strong network of partners to be able to assist them. You guys are doing really interesting work and filling a, a void. Um I want to thank you for coming on, talking with us. And before I let you go, uh, let me have you uh, just remind listeners the name of the organization and let folks know how they can be in touch if they are looking for services. Yeah, so we are Baltimore City Community Action Partnership. And if anyone is looking to get more information, please call 410-396-3228. Again, that number is 410-396-3228. We will direct them to their uh, nearest Community Action Partnership Center. Ebony Wilder, Public Information Officer for Baltimore City Community Action Partnership in the Mayor's Office of Human Services, Thanks for being here. Thank you. We're going to give the last word this hour to Sandy, whose story was the inspiration for this program. If you are a grandparent like her, who's been saddled with raising your grandchildren, 
This is Sandy's advice for you. Try to get as many conversations in with the kids that you can, but you have to get, you know, if you need the outside help for yourself. I sell counseling now. You know, I tell everybody, you know, it's good, you know, to get the kid counseling. You know, you need counseling because it's a hard job. And sometimes you hear where people were hurt, you know, um, because they was too frustrated, didn't know how to deal with the anger or whatever was going on mentally with them. But if you can get some help, outside help, you know, but um, I don't know. I just think you need to be able to talk. But with these kids, you have to parent, not just the 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 the, kid, the the grandchildren or your nephews and nieces, but you have to parent your adult children. You know, you still have to be honest with them and show them, you know, their wrongs, you know, and supporting them in it to the place where they can see their own wrongs and help them, let them know that you will, you know, be there to help them to get it right because we don't want this the child needs their parents, you know, and we don't want that responsibility. We want you to have that relationship. Life in the Balance is an original production of WYPR. The show is produced and edited by Katie Marquette. We want to thank the folks at Family Connections for connecting us with Sandy and helping us research this episode. You can listen back to this episode and others at wypr.org slash lifeinthebalance. And you can reach us with your thoughts and questions at lifeinthebalance at wypr.org. Life in the Balance airs here on WYPR on the first Wednesday of the month at 1 p.m. and again in the evening at 9 p.m. For 88.1 WYPR, your NPR news station, I'm Aaron Hagan. Thanks for listening.